Two years ago, the Belleville News Democrat was leaked documents from inside the Illinois Department of Public Health. The documents showed that disabled people were often ignored by the agency and their deaths were not investigated. Here's city editor Gary Dotson explaining how those documents played out in real life. If you were responsible for taking care of grandma and grandma died because of neglect on your part, literally um, you could get away with murder and nobody would investigate because according to this state agency, the dead were ineligible for services. And so when somebody died, they just closed the case and they moved on. Despite the threats of legal action from the Department of Public Health, the News Democrat ran the story, which prompted the head of the agency to resign and the governor to push for reform. This week's theme is Healthcare Hardball, Overcoming Obstacles. I'm George Varney, and you're listening to the IRE Radio Podcast. IRE, with you on your beat for over 30 years. On this episode, journalists will share tips for getting around uncooperative hospitals and health departments. First Milwaukee Journal Sentinel reporter and editor Alan Gabler will take us through deadly delays an investigation that uncovered nationwide problems with newborn screening programs. Two babies in Colorado, one who was born um, basically on the right day. That baby was diagnosed early and is alive and healthy. Another baby was born um, on a Friday. The lab was closed on the weekend. The child died uh, before their blood was tested. Robin Fields is the managing editor at ProPublica. For years, she and her colleagues have been reporting on hidden costs and perils of dialysis. Fields wanted to get dialysis facility outcome data to see how facilities compared in terms of mortality rates and other metrics. When officials at the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services told her she couldn't have the data, Fields was more than a little skeptical of their response. They looked in every cabinet all over the place and they just couldn't find it. They didn't have custody control or possession of their own data. How to get critical healthcare data from secretive sources coming up on the IRE Radio Podcast. Ellen Gabler is a reporter and editor on the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel's watchdog team. In November 2013, the Sentinel published her deadly delays report, detailing a lethal nationwide problem. Thousands of hospitals throughout the country are sending babies' blood samples late to state labs for testing. And as a result, kids are dying and or becoming very sick and seriously disabled when they wouldn't necessarily have to be. Gabler explains that for the last 50 years, blood samples have been taken from newborn babies shortly after birth to check for health problems so they can be treated as early as possible. This testing has saved countless lives, but time is of the essence when it comes to treating serious ailments. Like a kid can have something called galactosemia, and that means that they can't digest the sugar in milk, so formula or breast milk. And so if, they don't, if doctors don't find this out soon enough, they can basically die or become brain damaged. And so that's why you got to do these tests quickly. But in many places, the tests were not done quickly, and hospitals were ignoring state regulations. In New York, state law requires all newborn blood to be delivered to the testing lab within 48 hours of collection. Gabler's analysis of the data found that only happened 60% of the time. Only two states, Delaware and Iowa, met federal guidelines on turnaround time for blood testing. The problems were glaring, and some didn't require data analysis to spot. 
Gabler discovered flaws in the system by repeatedly calling and emailing the newborn screening program offices in every state. We found that half labs in half the country are closed on the weekends, which adds to the delay. And so we have a, my, one of my colleagues wrote a story about two babies in Colorado, one who was born um, basically on the right day. That baby was diagnosed early and is alive and healthy. Another baby was born um, on a Friday, or was it a Thursday? Anyway, it was because the lab was closed on the weekend, the child died uh, before their blood was tested. To get the data on blood testing delays, Gabler sent requests to every lab in the country. A colleague recommended she use the mail merge function, which takes information from a spreadsheet, such as an Excel file, and fills in form letters, quickly creating numerous personalized requests. A link to a tutorial on how to use mail merge is in our show notes. Once the requests were out, Gabler had to negotiate with each state to get its data. She kept a spreadsheet of all the people she talked to, making notes on what they did or didn't give her and how helpful they were. Gabler also leveraged information she received from cooperative states against those that were being less obliging. Um, I, I would, would send them other states' data once I started getting it in to, to peer pressure them. So I said, make sure to share that spreadsheet with your data people so they can get an idea of, of what I'm talking about. Because we were, we were setting up a meeting, right? And so, <laughs> this, this is just funny. This lady, she was a PR person. She meant to reply only to her colleagues. But she replied to me, bossy. And I was like, yeah, I am a little bossy, actually. Gabler would end up getting data from 31 states, but her work was far from over. In addition to analyzing the data, she also had to be wary of errors. The state may have provided the data, but was it accurate? I got data from Washington State, and they had screwed it up and given me, they gave me quarterly data by hospital, so I had to, like, sum it and whatever. But they had provided quarter four twice, so it was going to make everything wrong. And... Luckily, I caught that because I started going to some of these hospitals and telling them a lot of places, a lot of hospitals didn't even know that they had this problem. So I started telling them their data. But if I hadn't checked that, it would have kind of, it would have really blown my credibility because um, it would have been wrong. And, you know, they know how many babies are born there every year. So they would have known it would, it would have been wrong. And then like another state, they sent me an Excel file um, with 65,000. It was supposed to be every baby in the state. I opened the Excel file at 65,000 babies which they were using an old version of Excel. And there was like, you know, 200,000 kids born in the state. So I, I just called them back and was like, hey, you know, your, your people who per, uh, prepared the data screwed up. Before running the story last November, Gabler shared her findings with the hospital she reported on. Like in some cases, they were like, we had no idea, thank you. Um, in other cases, they were like, we, you know, we absolutely need to fix this. In Wisconsin, the biggest uh, hospital chain, had, they were kind of the worst. And they were like, we had no idea. Um, we're going to fix it, like, tomorrow. So they, like, added courier services uh, right away. The story made an impact. Hospitals and state health programs across the country have been taking steps to fix problems with their programs. And the U.S. House of Representatives this summer passed legislation designed to eliminate delays in newborn screening. Robin Fields is the managing editor of ProPublica, where the newsroom has investigated dialysis treatment nationwide since 2010. Fields was interested in looking at how treatment success rates vary by facility. Survival rates for dialysis patients could vary greatly, even between clinics that were only a few miles apart. 
Fields knew facility-level outcome data existed. She'd seen it referenced in an inspection report. For 10 years, the federal government had been collecting information on every dialysis facility in the country. But just because the government had the data didn't mean officials were willing to share. Because this data would be immensely valuable to patients and their families, they had kept it all confidential and shared it only with uh, other government officials and with the providers themselves, the only people who actually knew this stuff to begin with. Fields submitted a FOIA for the data in August of 2008. It took a year for the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, or CMS, to say that they couldn't fulfill her request, which didn't surprise her. But the reason CMS gave her did. They said that uh, they did not have custody or control of the data. Yeah, they looked everywhere and they couldn't find it anywhere. They could just couldn't, they, they looked in every cabinet all over the place and they just couldn't find it. They didn't have custody, control, or possession of their own data. Fields knew that state agencies received this data and used it to target their inspections, so she FOIA'd all 50 states. At least 20 sent her a letter back saying basically the same thing. This is CMS's data. Ask them for it. So I took all their letters and sent them back to CMS and said, I think you should reconsider your, your rejection of this request because I think we can prove in court that you do have possession, custody, and control of your data. So they said, yeah, okay, we'll, we'll reconsider it. Fields kept an email communication with the agency, CCing the then head of CMS, Donald Berwick, who she said was a noted warrior for transparency. When CMS still seemed reluctant to release the data, Fields laid out the facts of the situation. We're going to write this story and we're going to say that you have this data. And we'd actually managed to get some of it from a couple of states, including the great state of Texas, where the attorney general of Texas personally released it to us. And it's going to be really embarrassing because we're just going to beat you over the head with the fact that you collect this data, which could help save patients' lives. Finally, CMS gave in and released the facility-level data to ProPublica. It was the first time this information was released to a non-government entity. Since CMS just sent the data to ProPublica without releasing it publicly on the agency's website, ProPublica built a dialysis facility tracker. The online tool allows you to look up facilities by name, street, or zip code and compare local statistics against a national average. We'll have a link to the tracker as well as ProPublica's dialysis coverage in our show notes. Thank you for listening. You can find past episodes on both our SoundCloud page and on iTunes. Be sure to subscribe to stay up to date with the latest podcasts. Visit our website for tips on structuring your stories. In a few short audio clips, Pulitzer winner Jackie Bonashinsky will explain the basics of the broken narrative. Help us expand the NICAR database library by suggesting a data set for us to add to our collection. We'll have a link to the suggestion form in the show notes. And want to attend one of our annual conferences or boot camps? Consider applying for a fellowship or scholarship. Details on each award are available at IRE.org. Also on our website, go behind the story with New Jersey advanced media reporter Chris Baxter. Learn how he used public and confidential records to shed light on a controversial death investigation. As always, if you have any questions or comments about the podcast, IRE, or anything else, our inbox is always open. IRE web editor Sarah Hutchins edits the podcast, and she can be reached at web at IRE.org, or you can reach me at George V, that's G-E-O-R-G-E-V, at IRE.org. That's it for this episode. From Columbia, Missouri, I'm George Varney.